Hello and welcome to the Empowered, Sensitive and Creative Podcast. My name is Rim. I'm an artist, a certified life coach and an NLP practitioner and the creator of the Empowered, Sensitive and Creative Retreats. Passionate about celebrating joy and beauty in the everyday, especially when things are falling apart, I'm insatiably curious about human nature into the world with reverence, awe and a sense of wonder. Tune in for stories exploring healing through creativity, art, embracing sensitivity and navigating the subconscious mind. I'll talk about the struggles that highly sensitive and creative people face and share my experiences, insights and favorite tools along the way. I'm here to empower you to turn what we often deem to be a curse into your biggest gift. I believe that the more we create together, the more we heal the world. So let's dive in! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered, Sensitive and Creative Podcast. I'm so happy and grateful for you tuning in. Today is a special episode. I've wanted to have a conversation with Lauren for a while. We met on Instagram last year. I think it's about one year now. And we immediately felt quite connected. We both grew up in Africa. I grew up in North Africa. She grew up in South Africa. We both <laughs> we both came to London to be an au pair. And we both love creativity encouraging other people to get in touch with their creative spirit and we are both high sensitive people and I felt that now would be a good time because of the situation the world situation these days the political unrest all the all the turmoil and the hardship really that so many of us are going through these days I think that Lauren's story resonates with what's going on now unfortunately but that's that's how it is and during huge political unrest and crisis I think it's even more important than ever to remember the power we have as sensitive beings, as creative beings, as nurturers to guide, to guide ourselves and guide others towards more kindness, more gentleness, more compassion, more empathy. Born and raised in South Africa and now living in Australia on the Gold Coast, Lauren is a graphic designer and an HSP with a passion for guiding and supporting entrepreneurs on their journey to branding success in the most creative way possible. Lauren believes there is no such thing as a non-creative person. We just need to be more in tune with the creative impulses that present themselves to us every single day. And for this to happen, we need to create space in our day, the time just for us, where we can relax and surrender to the present moment, where we can listen out for those creative opportunities as they present themselves. So I feel like Lauren and I are very much aligned. She has so much to share, so much wisdom, that I've decided to make our conversation into two podcast episodes. The first part, which is now, we talk about art, sensitivity and education in the midst of political turmoil. And as a word of caution for our sensitive listeners, Lauren talks about violence during apartheid, South Africa, and mentions gunshots. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Rim. It's so wonderful to be here and have a good chat with you. Me too. I'm so happy. So <laughs> let's start by you telling me about a bit about yourself, like your background. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Sure. 
Um, so I was born in South Africa and lived there until the age of around 32. I had, um, I was married, um, and, um, had a little boy, uh, of two and a half when we decided to emigrate to Australia. And we have now been living here on the Gold Coast, so that's East Coast, just a little south of Brisbane, um, for going on 18 years. When we first arrived, I um, was hugely nervous and had massive butterflies in my tummy. Um, and I put it down to emigrating and... Um, and, uh, you know, just the whole um, nerve-wracking event of moving countries. Um, but after around a week to two weeks, the butterflies did not go away. And so then I thought, oh, maybe I have another baby on the way. And, yep, sure enough, my little Chloe was on the way. She decided on her own free will to make her appearance nine months after we arrived here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah it was um hard like it was tough moving countries and having a baby and not really knowing the hospital the doctor the nurses or any of that um but in hindsight I think it was probably really really good for me because it made me assimilate into the the culture and into the country and into our surroundings a lot faster a lot easier I made friends through Chloe so taking her to playgroup and then on to kindergarten and then school and all of those experiences um, brought me a lot of wonderful friendships which I would not have had if I had not had Chloe um, I, I mean I with my son yes I sure I would have had them with him but just having my baby having the baby here and um yeah they're just the the friendships were just a little bit stronger i think so uh so yeah maybe there was also more necessity you know like sometimes when you're pushed by the events by the situation you kind of what i mean is sometimes especially when you go somewhere new and maybe it's a bit stressful or a bit scary you know it's a different environment maybe you feel more self-conscious and you would be more withdrawn and you know it's maybe it can be a bit more difficult to put yourself out there and and strike a relation a conversation with people you don't know because you don't know anything about the place but when you're pushed you're forced like you have no choice then yeah you have to it's you don't have to you, you don't spend so much time second guessing yourself or you know this exactly. kind of things you kind yeah. of go with yeah. it just go yeah. with it jump yes absolutely and forced to be get out the house as well because i would have gone stir crazy if yeah. i had been in the house on on my own with her so um so yeah and i think um never you know i just I am a sensitive person, um, uh, but I never, ever realized it back then. Um, you know, I was, as I say, kind of forced to get out the house and meet new people. And I think if I hadn't had her, I would have definitely just stayed at home. And the whole process of, of emigrating would have been a lot harder, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was... Yeah, I think the universe had a different plan for me, and that was Chloe. <laughs> I I totally relate to that. I I know when I moved to South South China, Shenzhen, I I moved with a job, and I'm grateful because the city was so different from what I I was used to that it would have been made it, it would have been very difficult for me to get out of my house. I love to be at home. I'm such a homebody, but I also like yeah. adventures and going out and meeting new people and doing new things. But when I don't feel comfortable with a place, I find it more difficult. So I was yeah. glad that I was forced to, and then some events, I lost my cat and all of that. So it kind of pushed me to get out there and talk with people and get to know the city, get to know the environment. And then I felt much better. I found my cat, by the way. But yeah, so I... Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, after two weeks. So, yeah. Wow. That was amazing. And, and I met had great friendship. And I met great friendship yeah. through that. Like the people, the couple who found my cats ended up being lovely people and we became friends during all that time in that city. So yeah. it was like yeah. so it was also just meant to be, you know? Yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's. I, I'm curious before I ask you more questions and all of that. I'm curious about your astrology. Do you know your sun sign, moon sign, rising? Yeah, I have a, I know my star sign, but I don't know anything more than that. So I'm a Virgo. Um, but okay. as far as where my moon moon is and that, da, 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 I don't know any of that. <laughs> yes, yeah. But being Virgo. Um, and the characteristics of a Virgo, I'm definitely very Virgo. I am a perfectionist to my own detriment. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, as I say, like being, being perfectionist like that and in, in my career, it just does not serve me well. Um, I, I, I've said before, like I've been known to move, so being graphic designer um, and and designing designs for other people, um, I kind of preempt it and think, okay, how can I make this better? Or in fact, no, how can I make this perfect? And then I'd be sitting there moving a line of type, two pixels to the left, two pixels to the right, two pixels up, two pixels down. And I was like, ah, oh, stop this. <laughs> it's fine as it is. So that's been um, a learning curve for me can relate <laughs> when i was working as a fashion designer i i would instead of doing the work fast and i don't know and just get done with it i would just spend so much time no wait the line is mm, the line could be a little bit better what if i do it a bit like that also when i was <laughs> making patterns I was a tailor kind of tailor and doing and also teaching pattern making I would drive my students crazy with my one millimeter yeah, yeah. For, although yeah. it is important it is important you know it's like balance and everything and one millimeter plus one millimeter plus one millimeter it ends up being a lot <laughs> but sometimes sometimes we need to let it go and yeah <laughs> and just move on and you know and it's interesting i found that i realized that doing this work was actually making my natural perfectionism worse you know mm. and then yeah. i realized maybe maybe i should do something else because yeah it, maybe it was good at some point because i was a bit more messy and i didn't have so much structure when i was younger so doing this work pushed me to be more structured but after a while, I went too far into the structure mm. and it mm. was like driving me nuts and also being counterproductive. Like I would not do my work fast enough. So, yeah. Yeah. so it wasn't good for my, my, you know, productivity. And like, I'm curious, did you feel something like that as well? That maybe you need to do something else that doesn't make your, make this trait worse, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I quickly started to realize that um, even though I loved designing for other people, the stress and the pressure um, just wasn't worth it. Like um, the stress on myself, the stress that I was putting on and the pressure that I was putting on myself just really wasn't serving me well. So that's when I started to go more down the, the like coaching route and helping people um, be able to design for themselves, um, where I was putting more of the control in their hands, um, and uh, that most certainly, you know, helped me. I mean, it was also more of a return to my art teaching days as well, um, because before being graphic designer, I was an art teacher. That was back in South Africa. And, um, you know, just being able to, um, as I say, have the students have the control over their own work um, 
and me being the nurturer, the guide, the supporter, um, was way more in tune with what, what I was meant to be doing. Um, and yeah, you know, I still do a, a custom design every now and again, um, to help people out, but it's not, it's not my main focus anymore. And I'm pretty glad about that. Actually, it's quite a relief that I found this new direction and, and that I'm just enjoying it way more, way, way more. Mm, that's so important i'm curious so you were teaching how did you like how did you manage to not let your tendency for high standards rub onto the kids because you you know kids are quite yeah Yeah, how can i say yeah they're perceptive but they also want to do well obviously it's Mm. kind of part of nature you know you want to improve or you want to please the teacher or you want to to be a good student or you want to be if you were studying art you want to be good at it how did you because i know in art school (laughs) design school art school i remember some for some teachers it was never good enough and it was a bit stressful to be honest it was like i felt like they they're not and they and and they didn't give me the tools to get better, so, so which was even more confusing. It was like, okay, it's not good yeah. enough. Just, just, just find your way. Just manage. Just, mm. yeah. So how mm. how did you like? Because if you have high standards for yourself, you may also have high standards for others. Especially if you sure. care about what you do and you want them to improve and you want to, you know, like to help them mm. to dig deeper. But mm. How would mm. you? How did you? Yeah. Um, so I, in the beginning of my teaching days, I wasn't an art teacher. I was teaching all other subjects. I taught maths and English. I even taught Zulu because as I say, it was in South Africa. Um, and there it was a lot harder because the, it was, um, you know, the, the, the testing and the assessment was mark based. Okay. Yeah. So um, the the kids definitely did put the pressure on themselves. And I, it wasn't me. I think it was more put the pressure on themselves to to do well or to do not to, or, you know, get upset if they didn't do well enough. Um, and that was a stress for me because there were children in my class that were struggling and, you know, it used to break my heart. Like I, I didn't, I really didn't enjoy the whole um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G kind of, mm, you know, A being the best and B being fail. Um, but I was young and inexperienced and, it, you know, I don't think it really, there was nothing I could do about it. So I kind of just went along with it. Um, I tried my best to encourage everybody um, but it was really only when I got into the art classroom where suddenly um, the marking or the assessment of the work was subjective. So it was all my opinion. And that was when I decided, yeah, nah, I am never going to be saying to somebody, your art is amazing and your art is not so amazing. So in my art classroom, everybody was treated equally. Um, it was, you it, know, it, also art, it's never a subject that is you have to pass to be able to pass the year. It was just, you know, a, a support subject, which is another whole aspect. I, I, I believe that it should have been a, a subject, you know, the whole creativity thing, and <laughs> it should have been a main subject, but it wasn't. So... Mm-hmm. Me assessing everybody and making sure that everybody was kind of middle of the road, um, I just really encouraged people to look at their own work and critique their own work, as in how do you feel about how this looks and um, could you have done a bit better or not or what, you know, and it was, yeah, it was putting the, Again, putting the power back in their hands. Um, And because I kind of um, just encouraged everybody, there wasn't that, um, 
they, you know, the, the students weren't really wanting to be too hard on themselves. Um, you know, if if uh, I liked it, then they kind of like, you know, they kind of went with it. Um, and another thing that was even more important than that is that, you know, in art, it's not the end result that's more important. It's the journey in getting there. Um, and I used to celebrate that a lot. Like, let's have fun. Let's enjoy this. Let's just let the creativity flow. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. It's going to be great anyway. So let's just, yeah, let's just have fun and and enjoy the process. So, yeah, that helped. Hmm. I wish I had you as an art teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had you as a student. <laughs> my art teaching days I miss them so much but I'm getting back into it now and um it's yeah I'm so excited <laughs> yeah I am too I want to talk more about this but first I want to ask you I have so many questions about South, South Africa because South Africa is I mean, not any, every country is not any country, but South Africa is very particular, especially mm. at the time you lived in. So I'm, I'm sure it has impacted you a lot. And yeah, can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I was born early 70s um, and it was a time in South Africa's history that was very violent very, very, uh, there were so many uprisings. I mean, the 76 riots are world famous. Um, I lived in a suburb that was, of Johannesburg, that was uh, like two blocks away from the, one of the biggest townships in, in Johannesburg called Alexandra. So Soweto was the biggest, Alexandra was second biggest, it was huge, and my house was two blocks away from this. Um, and I can just so distinctly remember um, the nights, terrifying, just hearing the tear gas and the uh, people screaming, um, you know, and yeah, I, it was, I never fully understood what was happening my parents kind of tried to protect me and not didn't tell me exactly what was going on I was only six at the time so I was still really really young I was like early early primary school um and yeah so just having this all go on around me I think it definitely profoundly affected me and it's just funny because I never realized how much it actually had affected me until I got to Australia, until I lived in a place where there was none of that. Because even though 76 riots and, you know, it was all really bad in the 70s and the early 80s, by the time the 90s came in 1994, Mandela was released from prison and the New South Africa was born, it was very different um, and not as there were there weren't the uprisings um there was still the violence because uh there was such a power a dis, you know a, an imbalance between the rich the wealthy and the poor so no longer was it race based back uh, in the like it was in the apartheid days it now became a a huge um, segregation between the rich and the poor. But where, where, um, wasn't it like the white were more rich anywhere than the 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 yeah. the, the, the black populations? Yeah, yeah. So the, the the whites were definitely more well off, you know, and and richer. Um, but there was a strong middle class black person that was um, born out of the new South Africa because all of a sudden you had affirmative action in the workplace where they were giving the jobs to, um, well, the, the kind of the, the, the order went, um, the jobs went to black men and then black women. Sorry, I think I have it wrong. It was black women first, then black men, 
Really? And okay. white women and then white men, like at the very bottom. Whereas in the apartheid days, it was the other way around. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you had a lot of these, um, um, you had a, a lot of middle class black people now coming into the workforce um, being able to buy because they had the, the, the good salaries, they, had, they were able to buy beautiful homes um, and the cars and all the rest of it. So that's why I say it went more from race to income as in, well, poor, rich and poor. Um, and the poor, the poor um, black people that were still at the bottom were never going to be able to work their way out of it. Like, you know, they kind of realized that this is my lot in life. And even though it's a new South Africa, I tell you what, it just used to break my heart that you, you think the new South Africa was supposed to be born for making opportunities for everyone, but it didn't. So um, the, yeah, and, and so the, the poorer got poorer and the poorer they got, the more, in, the more into crime they got just as a means to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, and like, uh, we, you know, even though we lived in a, I mean, we didn't, my parents didn't, we weren't very wealthy and we didn't live in a very well-to-do area. We were comfortable and we lived comfortably we were happy but there was still this constant fear um even in the new south africa as to you know when was our happiness going to be taken away by crime and my father got um you know involved in three different um events where he was shot at um the two of them weren't so bad, but the third one, he was shot. Um, he was standing outside. They were trying to steal his um, his truck, and they uh, were trying. They shot at him. He was standing behind the door of the, the open door of the truck because he was getting out of the car with the vehicle at the at the time. And uh, fortunately for him, the door copped the bullet and and deviated it that if it hadn't been for the door, it would have gone into his main artery and he would have bled to death within a couple of seconds, really. It didn't. So he got back in the car, bleeding, though. <laughs> it's like a scene out of, you know, like... You told me before, like, you, you, you told me when we were preparing for this, you told me a few times, like... The two times that he got into this gunshot, but every time he gets back into the car, so it means every time there's nobody around helping him. No, everybody <laughs> I was ran. like, "What?" Yeah, everybody so, runs the cover. So you get caught, well, too bad for you. Just deal with it on your own, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly, exactly. And so this time he got back in the truck. He drew. He was. He managed to drive home. He got home. Got uh, parked the car got out and collapsed on the driveway. But fortunately, my mother was home and she was a nurse. She was able to help him and get him to hospital, call the ambulance and get him to hospital. And so his life was saved. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, this this happened when I'd already had my little boy. But it was then that my husband and I decided that we are best off leaving and going off to Australia just because our little boy needed to grow up in a country that was safer. Um, yeah, you know, there's still, Australia's not, not a bed of roses either. Like there's still crime here and there's still home invasions and that sort of thing, but it's not on, not nearly as, um, as bad as South Africa. Uh, the healthcare system as well is better. And so is um, the education. So all of those three factors made us move. Um, but as I was saying to you earlier, it was not until I got to to Australia that I realized just how deeply affected the um, my, my upbringing was. Um, and I I remember so well, so vividly. This was uh, going back probably about five a, a graphic design job 
where I was kind of, my desk was kind of at the, it was kind of front office and um, I was close to the door. Um, kind of, I was the first person port of call for any any visitor. And um, we had a visitor that was high on drugs. He was quite, he was quite uh, aggressive and his whole face and, well, in fact, his whatever bare skin you could find was just tattooed in blue. So I just saw this blue apparition coming towards me aggressively. He was high. I wasn't, on, I wasn't sure what the heck he was going to do with me. So what I, my first, um, uh, my first instinct was to throw myself under the desk and hide. And sitting under the desk, he, he, he had turned his head and didn't know where I had gone, fortunately for me. So I just stayed there and he eventually got tired of, you know, there was no one else to find, so he left. But sitting under that desk, suddenly all of this violence that I had had as a child just came springing back and I just burst into tears and sat there dribbling and sniveling and it was quite pathetic actually but yeah at the end of the day it was that day no. that I realized just how much I had been affected by it you know it's amazing how we can just push trauma away like we think we're done with something But our body mm. remembers everything, and then one day, psh, I think it goes back. It goes out once we are ready to face it. Like before, we yeah. maybe we're not ready. We have other things to do, other things to learn, other things to go through. And then one day we're ready, and psh, yeah. in your face, and then take that. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, you're right. I think it, it was at the time where I was really ready to face it, you know, um, and and just made me so much more grateful for the decisions that we'd made to move. Um, yeah, it just just made me grateful for for where I was and uh, how much better my life had gotten. I even can't begin to imagine how it must be like, yeah. And you're sensitive, highly sensitive persons. What do you think helped you to cope with the situation while you were in, um, in South Africa? Like, I'm curious, actually, do you think you were more affected than others around you? Did you not? Because I'm saying I'm saying it's so violent that everybody must be it must be hard for everybody living through that. I remember I had a flatmate in London who is also from Johannesburg, and mm. he told me horrid stories, and I was like, oh my god, like I could feel it. Like I almost felt as if I'm there. You know, I could picture the scene yeah. in my head, and I'm like, I'm I'm there yeah. already. And he yeah. seemed detached, but I don't know. Was he detached because it was his way? Of coping with it because it's so so much so heavy so gigantic so yes that so you know confusing. it's it's kind of his way of protecting himself like no but I'm fine who you know in South Africa in Johannesburg oh, da, da, you just mm. drive and you never stop and da 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 and, but I, I I don't know I was I'm curious I'm I'm wondering is it that or oh. is it just he was not that sensitive and therefore it was easy for him easier to detach I, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, um, <clears throat> I uh, just remember how much I used to cry at a, as a child. Like, I, I got I got uh, the nickname and teased at school um, because I was the crybaby. And I think that was my coping mechanism. And, I mean, I still, I still cry today. <laughs> I still cry at happy things, sad things. Um, stressful things I cry <laughs> it's my way it's my body's way of just kind of letting like it's the release it, yeah, it, it yeah yeah balls yeah up, balls up, balls up, and eventually I just gotta go and how I go is tears <laughs> and 
Uh, oh boy, I tell you what, I just remember how many times I just used to cry and cry and cry. And eventually, like my father used to say, oh my goodness, Lauren, will you stop crying? <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I can't. It's just the way I'm, I, you know, this is the way I am dealing with this and coping yeah, yeah, yeah. with it. I mean, well, I the man who's been shot three times. Yeah, like go figure. <laughs> exactly right. Um, I mean, like even even when I got married, um, walking down the aisle, I was crying. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> my husband went, Oh my god, she doesn't want to marry me. <laughs> the okay. priest, at the priest up the top, because I carried on crying. He was asking me my vows and I was going <laughs> In between, yes, I do. And he's like, Lauren, will you please stop crying? <laughs> I mean, those were those were tears of joy and they were happy tears. Um, I definitely, I mean, I'm still married to my husband 25 years later. So, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to get married on the day. But my way of coping to this highly stressful situation was crying. <laughs> So yeah. I think, yeah, like didn't didn't realize how sensitive I was back then. But now that I look back on my life, I can so see and, you know, like reading your posts on Instagram and listening to your podcasts as well. I've it's been a huge eye opener for me. I'm like, oh, my good God, I am actually highly sensitive. Finally, I have an explanation for all my crying. Oh, okay, I didn't know it was my podcast and posting that. I, I knew you were a highly sensitive person before. <laughs> you okay? You know, yeah. I even didn't have. I have to say, I even didn't have to ask you. Are you a highly sensitive person? <laughs> yeah, like I, I do try to hide it. I must, uh, I must admit, I, um, you know, like going into business and that sort of thing. You want to appear strong. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know that you're not going to let things affect you and all the rest of it but yeah no that's uh yeah but you not... cannot you cannot hide it from an hsp <laughs> we no. have a detector it's ingrained within us it's like we're scanning hsp hsp oh hsp ding yeah yeah and you're right every time <laughs> before i didn't know it's now that i'm aware of this trait. I, I just thought before well you know there are some people whom which i feel more comfortable or some people who seem to have more compassion or more it's not like soft you know negative way it's the kind of softness as in uh, is it like being kinder or more gentle yes I, and I, i'm, I'm, I'm I'm trying to be careful when I use these words because I think too often it's being twisted and it means, oh, you're a wildflower, wildflower. Oh, you're so weak. No, I'm not talking about weakness, wildflower. I remember somebody told me, oh, you know, you look, you look very meek and uh, or you something like that. But, but actually you're not. And I was like, of course not. I'm not meek. Being soft or being kind, being gentle, being compassionate has nothing to do <laughs> with being meek. Yeah. It, 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 it's just having more empathy and feeling. And Exactly. Yeah. I think you, one is able to tune in to the emotions in the room and, and the, how people are feeling you can kind of pinpoint, as you say, like you can scan a room and pinpoint who are the HSPs because you can tune in to, to how um, people are reacting or going to react or, you know, and how they're feeling and the emotion in the room, as I say. Um, and I yeah. am definitely like that. I can, um, yeah, I can, I can also scan the room and pretty much, not necessarily tell, because I think you've got a gift um, as in HSPs, but I can definitely uh, pinpoint who are the people that are going to be more like me and who the people are that are not going to be like me, you know? So in a room of strangers, I can, you know, just, yeah, I just come in. Um, I've been also known to be a little bit aloof because I come yeah, in yeah, yeah. and I eventually my guard is up and I am scanning and I'm just working everybody out <laughs> um and yeah 
once but once Same. I have yeah once I have kind of worked out who the people are that I'm kind of drawn to then I you know I open up and I'm a lot <laughs> more myself but until then I'm like <laughs> I'm just going to stand here for a little while and just you know survey <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I wonder if this is also about being introvert. Like, I imagine you're a bit more introvert than extrovert, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think so. I'm definitely not the um, I'm not the person in the room that's going to get the party started. That's for sure. I'm not the party person. <laughs> I'm more the person that okay, you want to get the party started? You get the party started, and then I'll join in later. <laughs> so um yeah I mean I'm not I'm not I'm like solidly introvert um but to begin with I would probably be known as more like the introverted person rather than the extrovert yeah 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 definitely yeah there are so many levels of introversion I've I'm, I'm quite mm. surprised I you know I follow some introvert accounts on Instagram and actually yeah. I, I don't personally feel I'm, I'm at that level some people saying they never want to go out if, if a friend call them and say let's meet up and they're like no no way I much prefer to be alone on, uh, at home and they exist yeah. Okay, I personally know I do not every day, of course, but I do like um, I do like to go towards people. But mm. I need after I go out and meet with people, then I need time alone to to decompress. Yeah, empty my mind, empty the energy. That's why I found being a teacher when I was working as a, a professor. I found it's exhausting because I felt. I'm yeah. on, I have to put my energy to propel my, uh, my energy forward every single day. And in that university, we had to work 40 bloody hours per week. Oh and Lord. out of those 40, out of those 40 hours, I think it could be 30, 32 hours teaching. And for yeah. me, it was hell, even though I do like sharing with being with other people and showing them that they can do what they want and they can express themselves and all of those, that things, yeah. Yeah. giving my energy away outward, giving away my, yeah, giving my energy outward for so many hours without having time to decompress and to be with my own. For me, mm. it was a nightmare. It was like, yeah. I need a job. I need a career where I can be on my, I can be with my thoughts. I can be with myself. It's not yeah. like I don't want to reach out. I love reaching out, but I really need, I, I, I want to be able to reach out just when I have the energy, when I have the energy for it. Okay. Yeah. It's like when I have the energy, I can go and then open up and, da, 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 la, 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 and be warm and sunny or whatever. But then yeah. after that, yeah. maybe it's yeah. like the, the clam, the clam metaphor. <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I I totally get that as well because, um, and I think that's probably why I didn't, I mean, it, let me first finish my sentence, uh, why I didn't teach for very long in the, in the formal classroom. I mean, partly it was because we were immigrating and coming over to Australia, I, you know, I had to jump a whole lot of hoops to be able to get back into the education system here. And I didn't bother. I, I had Chloe as well. So I was being a mum and you know, I had a lot of going on and I was like, no, nah, it's too hard. I'm not going to go back into it. But I think if I hadn't immigrated, I probably would have left teaching anyway, because as you say, when you're in that classroom, you are giving so much of yourself all the time. And, yeah. um, yeah, apart from the art teaching, the art teaching was different because I was merely just giving the, the, the kids the stimulus and the, you know, the activity and, you know, go for it, over to you. But on the, you know, with any of the other subjects, you were it. Like you were the, and it was also the old way of educating too. Like stand up in front of the class and you speak all the time. Like there was none of this discovery learning and, you know, and all of that. Like I look at how my children have been educated here in Australia and I marvel and think, oh, actually, maybe I wouldn't have left this teaching. If I'd been teaching like that, then maybe I would. <laughs> oh, interesting. Think, 
yeah, like by the time my children were in year 12, they were actually teaching themselves. Like, honestly, um, the teacher was just there as a facilitator. My, my son, for, for, you know, one of his subjects, he was doing computer science at school and he was learning online, you know, and he was teaching himself, which, you know, it's like, wow, I, I, I think I'd like his teacher's job. He was just there in the classroom just to make sure that they pitched up in the day and, <laughs> and did and got oh. onto the online lo- online classes. That's it. Uh, but, okay, uh, yeah. no. I was gonna say I love the term facilitator. I like that. I think it's much better than teacher. I don't know. I mean, teacher has is not a wrong word per se, but somehow I've always mm. <laughs> that it's putting too much pressure on, on, on teachers. You know, a lot of teachers yeah. think they know everything and they feel the pressure that they have to know everything. And if yeah. they don't know, they are wrong or they are weak or they are not good enough or blah, blah, blah. And then they don't know anything about, most of the time, they don't know anything about psychology, about coaching, about chatting with people. Like, how can I say? Yeah, I think it's coaching. I remember once... <laughs> I was interviewing for an art school job, art teacher job in, in, in China. And the guy said, oh, for me, I see teaching as as uh, coaching. And I was like, yeah, high five. That's what I believe should be the case because it's giving the power in the children's hands. Yeah. And yeah. it's much better. Yeah. But I think also being the teacher who, the, the facilitator who just say, okay, I'm here to tick to know if you're here and make sure you're on the computer. I think it's also not very rewarding. Yeah, it's not rewarding yeah. for the teacher and also for the kid. I think it doesn't show the kid like the, that the adult is here to encourage and, and guide. Mm. And it, I think it kind of shows the kid that, well, my, my boy, you're on your own. <laughs> Yeah. You're on your own yeah. and uh, and deal with it. But sorry, we have to work. We have to learn from each other all, year, all, yeah. all our life. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it was, um, in hindsight, it's a good preparation for him um, for his uni days for university where he was going to be on his own and have to teach himself. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the lecturers and they do get up and they teach. But ultimately, the journey is very much Yours. your own yeah. um yeah. but yeah i i thought that there probably could have been a little bit more coaching and this uh, you know from that facilitator rather than just sitting in the classroom doing nothing it's not gratifying <laughs> for him either it must have been very boring yeah can you it's imagine like I'm, I'm i'm here but i'm not here yeah yeah and that's it for the first part of my conversation with Lauren Halberstadt. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you and I hope it resonated with you. How can you nurture your creative spirit? How can you create nurturing links in your community? Encourage um, creative exploration versus competition? How can you ease the perfectionist voice within you? And how can you spread the message of compassion, empathy, kindness around you? And tune in next week for the second part of our conversation. In the meantime, if you'd like to stay in touch with Lauren, if you would like to learn more about her work and how you can work with her, you can look her up on Instagram at Greenhouse by Lauren and also check out her website, greenhousebylauren.com.au. I will put all the links in the show notes as usual. If this resonates with you and you would love to learn more about how to reconnect to yourself, how to listen to your body, how to connect to your senses, how to be more in touch with your authenticity so that you can lead life according to your own terms, I'd love to invite you to join me and a small group of like-minded souls for a very special retreat in beautiful Provence for five magical days to reignite your dormant dreams and desires while cultivating new and exciting possibilities. This will be next June, 6th to 11th of June 2024, so it's next year, and I call it an enchanted interlude in the biosphere reserve of Lubéon Regional Nature Park. This is a lovely, lovely, lovely place in the south of France. Um, there is a kind of magic, magic vibe 
to that place, particularly beautiful in June, with the various shades of greens of the Garrigue and the azure blue sky, the vibrant ochres of the Provencal Colorado, is a natural paradise that invites your heart to soar. This amazing retreat will touch on all your senses and all aspects of your being, physical, emotional, mind, creative and soul. You'll walk the ochre canyons, listen to the sounds of wildlife, share laughters, give free rein to your creative expression and relax into rediscovering lost dreams and new possibilities as you celebrate and uncover the next chapter of your life. We will meet our inner wisdom through mindful and creative practices led by me and other local healers, sketching, drawing, watercolor painting, wildlife birdsong reflexology, walks in nature, a cooking workshop and a herbalist work. By the end of our five nights together, you'll be relaxed, re-inspired and ready to dive into the next chapter of your life with clarity and newfound confidence in yourself. If this is for you, you can find all the information on my website, rimcreativenergy.com and I also put all the links in the show notes. If you have further questions, you are not entirely sure if this is for you or you would like to learn more, to know more about the retreat, feel free to reach out. I am now opening 30 minutes free exploration calls. I'm calling this retreat exploration chats where you can ask all the questions you have and I can tell you more about the retreat and we can see together if this is the right thing for you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if it has inspired you, please share it around you. Also, if you feel called to it, please subscribe to the podcast and leave me a review. It really helps to spread the word out. All your questions are welcome. You can send them to me on Instagram at rim.creativenergy.com or email me via my website rimcreativenergy.com and don't worry, I'll share in the show notes exactly where to find me. Until next time, sending you loving creative energy.